taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. The Word of God says, The hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever, so that we may follow all the words of this law. This is Deuteronomy 29, 29, and this is the Word of God. Bringing up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Avalo, and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Well, welcome along, everyone. We've been praying for you all, um, all the way across this nation, and to the listeners across the seas. Um, we got some listeners across the across the globe, and we want to welcome those guys along, and and uh, we en- we enjoy seeing the stats and hearing about uh, the new listeners over there so let's take a quick look at uh, at our opening statement we say every podcast i want everybody to kind of take a pause and just look at look at what we say there we're saying taking up the sword of christian theology that's what bellator christie here is here is here to do is to bring theology and, and bring it to a place where we can actually uh, unify and, and actually put it into uh, words to be able to put it into thoughts to be able to put it into the next one the shield of Christian apologetics apologetics it's given a defense um, giving giving uh, a witness of our faith and using that Christian theology to do that and as we take the truth into the arena of ideas we're taking Christian truth biblical Christian truth into normal everyday discussions, possibly even into deep discussions with with the atheistic friends, but also taking it just into the normal everyday conversations around the coffee cups. And we just want people to know that in our opening statement, we've built how to be able to discuss Christ in amongst everybody. Well, anyway, let's bring Brian in. Hello, Brian. Hello, brother. What's you into? Hey, uh, I saw that latest article on BC. Uh, that was quite the mic drop. I uh, I certainly appreciated that one. That's that's a that's a good one. Uh, on the latest on Bellator Christie is the why Jesus never apologized. What a great article it was. And uh, you want to give us a little bit about that? Yeah, and uh, l- let me just give a little explanation. Normally, I've been, you know, we, we try to publish something every week, uh, and Mondays have been the days that I normally do that. Uh, with with acquiring a new job, uh, and and um, it's I haven't been able to do it with the consistency that I would like, but I hope to get back in a regular routine uh, here very soon, so just bear with us. But yeah, the, the article, it, it may seem like... Um, it may seem when you read read this why Jesus never apologized, as if if maybe he's being crass or 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 like one of those people. You probably met a person who thinks they're always right about everything, and they're the most one of the most annoying people you know. <laughs> they never apologize for anything. That that's not what is intended by that. Jesus never had to apologize because he was perfect. 
Uh, uh-huh. Jesus was one of the most humble people that ever lived. It wasn't uh-huh. that he was out for fanfare fame. Uh, quite honestly, the devil tempted him to do that. He wanted him to throw himself off the the temple ledge to to uh, choose an easier way out than having to go to the cross. But he went the difficult way, the road less traveled. And uh-huh. and uh, Jesus never had to apologize because everything that he said and he did was perfect. Uh-huh. And that's something we need to remember about God. And, and really, that's a good segue into the topic we're discussing today uh, right. about the hiddenness of God. Right. Yeah, so let's get into that. We're going to talk about the hiddenness of God today, people. We figure that this is a... This is actually a, a really good topic uh, to discuss, especially in the times that we're in right now. Um, there are times where it seems like God may be hidden in in this, uh, you could say, COVID world, in this uh, chaotic world of the elections and everything that's going on. It is where is God in this? And uh, and so we wanted to kind of go into this and discuss it and and have a a platform or a, a point for us to be able to open this discussion up. So, Brian, let's go ahead and talk about this. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and describe the hiddenness of God and what do we mean by the hiddenness of God? When we talk about the hiddenness of God, we're talking about the aspects of God that are unknowable. Um, I I think there's a passage of Scripture in uh, Isaiah, if I'm not mistaken, where God says, "...my thoughts are not your thoughts." My ways are not your ways, and I can look that up here in just a moment to see. Uh, but but it's uh, it's the aspect of God that cannot be known, and we have to understand. We throw around the term mystery a lot, uh, but there is a bit of mystery to God. You know, one one of the most dangerous things we can do as believers is to ascribe to a notion that we know everything about God. Um, quite honestly, God is far more, he is untamable. You can't tame God. And that's, that's why I think so many ch- churches are unhealthy because they're wanting a tamed God. They want a God that uh, fits into their own paradigm of the world. But just when you try to put God in a box and you really follow in the spirit of God, he busts out of that box every single time. Uh God can be dangerous in the sense that he moves us in, out of our comfort zone so many times. Um, so there, there's a lot of there's a lot about God that we don't know. In fact, you know, Curtis, I'm writing another book right now. I'm in the process of doing that, uh, and this book is going to be on heaven. And I remember uh, writing a chapter. This is going to actually be a, a big book, a bigger book than I anticipated. It's going to have 11 chapters to it. I'm already finished the third chapter, and it's already 60 pages. <laughs> that's not counting the preface and the foreword either that's going into it. So this is going to be a big book. Uh, but I was writing just recently about how Moses uh, was, uh, he approached God, and he wanted to see the face of God. And God and God said, Yahweh said to Moses, Moses, you can't see my face because no one can see my face and live. Now he, he's talking about now, and, and so the question is, and I bring this out in the book about, uh, you know, there, there are people who see God in certain times, but in visionary aspects, 
Maybe it was an out-of-body experience. Uh, maybe it was just a visionary aspect where they were permitted to see God in some form or fashion. But with Moses, he was talking about the full expression of God, the full personal aspect, the energy of God. And, and Yahweh says to Moses, you can't see my face, but I'll touch your shoulder and pass you by and you can see me as I depart. And I don't know how that worked, in fact, most commentators say we have to come to the recognition that there's a lot about that experience that we're never going to understand, you know, on this side of eternity about yeah, what happened. Until we see the replay. Yeah, till we see the replay. But that just goes to show that there's a lot about God that we're never going to know. Now, that makes us uncomfortable because the whole reason we come up with these conspiracy theories, right, is because we want to know. You know, so we, we make these patterns and we make these assumptions. And I'm not talking about some things that we can see connected. I'm talking about, you know, saying that you know, the government conspiracies, that the government made a hurricane that struck this place. or You know, just wild, extreme things out there, you know. Uh-huh. We, we like to make these connections because we like to think that we know what's going on to think that we are in control. It gives us a sense of empowerment. But when we become to the realization that there is a power far greater than us, it can be scary. When we think, I mean, even right now, I just gave the night report uh, or the uh, night skies report. I think I call it the astronomical report. I'll get a title for it nailed down here sooner or later. But that thing went eight minutes long. It's going to be at the conclusion of this podcast because there's some crazy things going on in the month of December in the night sky. There's even right. there's even a great conjunction. I talk about this in the night report that happens on December 21st when Jupiter and Saturn come together in the night sky. That hasn't happened since Galileo looked at the night skies in the 1600s. It's been that long since this has happened. I mean, oh, it notch it up for another thing to 2020 to happen. Uh, so solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse is supposed to take part this uh, place in this month. I don't think I even mentioned the lunar eclipse part in the report, which I'll need to go back and uh, mention that later on. But but all of this, these are things we can't control. These are things that God is doing. This is things where God has set in motion. We're we're spinning at a rate of thousands and thousands of miles per hour, and we can't do anything about it. So when we put God in the proper perspective, we understand that there's more about God that we don't know than there is that we do know. In fact, um, I really like what uh, Carl F.H. Henry says about this. And see if I can find this right quick. He says on page 54 in volume 2 of God, Revelation, and Authority, the scripture says that man overcomes God's mystery only to the extent that God chooses to reveal himself. So even in the natural world, of course, now he's not as big on natural theology as say we are, but but still, even the natural aspects that can be gathered by reason are only possible to be known because God permitted it to be known. And let it happen. He let it happen, absolutely. So there's more we don't know about God than there is we do know about God, and that can be unsettling for a lot of people. Sure, I could, I could, I can understand that. I could actually relate to that just a little bit. You know, you think about, it, it, but, 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 truthfully, that's what keeps you in awe 
over God. Truly, that's what keeps us in that awe and wonder of we don't, we we walk out in the morning and we see the stars in the skies. Um, You know, I'm just all the time, kind of like you, (laughs) when you go out and you look at the the skyline and, and the stars and you're just in awe over the fact that that is so vast and so huge, yet God is over the top of that, yet God knows us personally, intimately, to the finest little, smallest little molecule detail inside our body. What well, here again, here's another little part I, I put in the book. I'm giving you another little teaser of the book. Uh, talking about the, the different variations in stars, I mean, it said that the blue... Uh, supergiants are the hottest stars in the night sky in the universe. And, you know, our sun is hot, but it pales in comparison to to the, the temperature coming off those blue supergiants. Uh, and just to think that these things are out there. These are enormous yeah. stars are out there, burning, blazing. Uh, and, and there are all these celestial objects in the night sky God's the one that did that. We didn't do uh-huh. that. He's the one uh-huh. that did that. Right. And, and, you know, there's times where you just can't help but be in awe and and just start worshiping. Just start just start worshiping God, saying, you know, there's just nothing, there's nothing that compares to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah, I know that uh, I'm waiting. I'm going to wait for that uh, star report there. Uh, tonight to to hear what you got there but um i know just out in our skyline um i've got three planets lined up in a row that i can see plain as day bright moon full moon sitting right 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 above it and uh it's powerful it's cool to look at and hey the moon itself is going to be producing some things this month there's even a thing called the lunar x in fact there's a lot of things going on the moon that that we uh that, that can be easily missed in fact there was a uh, one report that I noted that one of the big mountains on on the moon, there's a certain time where the sun hits it just right, where it shines real bright, and sure enough, I put the binoculars on it, and it's absolutely right. There's this like bright shining dot on the moon, and just to think that this is this huge mountain on the moon that's reflecting the sun off off the moon to my eyes, the the binoculars, that is okay. just crazy <laughs> to, yeah. to consider yeah 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 and and i heard this one time a, a pastor that i was listening to said just remember we're the moon we're always reflecting the sun yeah <laughs> like, the sun of god that's, that's right good. that's good <laughs> <laughs> short and sweet so uh what does uh what does the hidden hiddenness of god tell us about his sovereignty Hidden plan, and especially uh, with my one of my favorite verses or my favorite uh, psalms is Psalm thirty-three. Well, see, so here's the thing, and this comes back to the previous thing. I think God's up to something, and and, and um, you know, many people are saying, you know, what are we going to have to go through? What are we going to have to go through? Maybe it's because we need to go through some of these things, because to make a diamond, you've got to put it under intense heat and intense pressure. That's what forms a diamond. And so a lot of times the Bible tells us that God disciplines his children. He has to do that to make us into the people we need to be, that we that we must be. 
So God has a plan, and, and we're not going to even understand all the ways. In fact, if we go back to the book of Job, Job wanted to know why the things happened, and God's answer is not something we like to hear. God tells Job, if I explained it to you, you wouldn't understand it. Because there's all these intrinsic things that's happening that's beyond your level of comprehension. He's not saying that Job is stupid. He's just saying that the things that's going on is far above anything that he could ever imagine or even contemplate. And so the same thing is going on now. God has a hidden plan. He's let us know the fundamentals of the plan. And the fundamentals of the plan can be found in the book of Revelation, especially chapter 21 and 22. The fundamental of the plan is there to bring us to a new heaven and a new earth, a resurrected creation, so to speak. But he doesn't tell us every detail that's coming about. I mean, the fact that he's even revealed that much shows the, the good character of God. But he doesn't have to tell us everything because, quite frankly, we probably wouldn't even know or uncomprehend everything if he were to even tell us. So, or, or even scare us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some <laughs> things may frighten us. Yeah. I mean, I've been reading through the book by Michael Heiser, The Unseen Realm, and I, I think he's knocking it out of the park with that book because there there is this spiritual dynamic to to reality that we don't see, we don't know, and for many it would be frightening to them uh, right. to know what's it's, going on. Yeah, and I, and I think we as humans, uh, to be honest with you, don't give uh, the spiritual realm as much credit as it as it does. I, I don't know if it's. It's because we fear, we fear being looked at as one of those kind of people, you know. But um, you know, uh, and you know, kind of like a demon behind every rock, you know, kind of deal. But but in all reality, there's there's a spiritual realm that we that we don't know that's functioning around us that the Bible tells us about. Bible is very descriptive about it, and 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 if we if we uh, recognize it and, and acknowledge that it's there, doesn't mean we have to engage with it all the time. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if we acknowledge it and we say, "Okay, God, give me the wisdom to get through this day," you know, as as just here on this earth and in in normal human activity. What's that doing in the spiritual realm as we ask for that? Well, and, and there's this connection that Jesus even tells us about. There, there's a part in the Lord's Prayer, and a lot of times in, in the work I do now, I, I read the Lord's Prayer to people, and it brings comfort to many people. But there's a phrase in the Lord's Prayer that we often take for granted. In fact, Bill Mount says that there's no translation that translates this right. Not a, one of the, not a single English translation gets this right. He said... It says, Our Father in heaven, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He, he's basically saying, and I probably said this in previous podcasts, that the enacted will of God in heaven, Jesus is praying, may that be brought through me. May that be brought to earth. So there is this connection from the heavenly spiritual realm to the earthly realm. And there's a lot of exchanges, interchange that happens there. Now, as you said, and rightfully so, I don't think we need to go looking for a demon under every rock. 
But I do think we need to acknowledge that, that, that this world is far more spiritual than we, than we give credit. Uh-huh. Now, going back to God's sovereign and hidden plan, we have to understand that there's a lot more that God knows than we could ever know. And so in Psalm 33, verse 13 and following, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. So, so who's the one looking? The Lord, Yahweh, the, the great I Am. He's looking down from heaven, which heaven is perhaps even in another dimension. So he's using this as, a, as God looking down from heaven to us. But really, we understand that God is everywhere. He's observing everyone. He can see everyone. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, observing the evil and the good. And he says the same thing in verse 14. He gazes on the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. From that spiritual realm, he is able to gaze on all the inhabitants of the earth. Now, Curtis, you're in Montana, and I'm in North Carolina, and we can't see one another right now with our physical eyes. We're talking by way of, by way of communication, communication through a phone system. But God can see you in Montana right now as he is seeing, observing me, seeing me, he sees where you are. He sees uh, if you're sitting in a chair, the color of your chair. He sees the, the, the things around you, just as he's seeing the same thing around me. He's seeing that I'm sitting in a black chair in front of a computer screen, surrounded by books, and uh, my wife would say a bunch of junk. words, <laughs> not the books part, she wouldn't say, but a lot of other papers and stuff like that. So he gazes on all of us. Verse 15, he forms the hearts of them all. He considers all their works. So he, he formed us. He knew us. He knew us before we were ever even born. He called us to a certain task before we were ever even born. He considers all their works. Now, verse 16 and 17, can politics save a person? Well, you be the judge. He says in verse 16, a king is not saved by a large army. A warrior is not to be rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety. The horse was a it was like a tank in the ancient times. Uh, it was it was the way you got around. And for the person on the horseback, they were considered to be they were considered to have an advantage in military warfare opposed to the individual just walking. The horse is a false hope. He says it provides no escape by its great power, the power of God. Your tanks, your planes, your political platforms are not enough to save you from the hand of God. (laughs) He goes on to say, but look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him. So despite what's going on, he has his eye on his children, those who depend on his faithful love, to rescue them from death, to keep them alive in famine. And look what he goes on to say in verse 20 through 22. What do we do? We don't understand the plan of God. We understand that God has authority over all things. He raises up nations. He brings them down. But he says we wait for the Lord because he is our help and shield. For our hearts rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. May your faithful love rest on us, Lord. For we put our hope in you. Amen. That'll preach. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, that my friend is. Uh, yeah, that's some. That's a powerful verse, and you know, I, I like the. I like how the CSB really reads through that. 
um, you know, the New King James and the ESV are kind of choppy in that. And the, and the CSB really smoothed that out and really made it to where it's, it actually shows the depth of that of that psalm. Yeah, CSB is my favorite translation. I mean, is it a perfect translation? No, it's not perfect. But, um, you know, it, it really is the perfect blend of, of accuracy and readability. And uh, that's one of the reasons why. I mean, I was at a conference when they first introduced it, and I jumped on the bandwagon ever since. I got my copy and been reading. You know, I've I've used it for my primarily for my devotions. Uh, now I don't use it for funerals, and the only reason I don't is because, like the twenty third Psalm is really good, but it doesn't have that classic flavor that you have in the yeah. ESV and some other translations. But uh, outside of that, I mean, as far as personal devotions and study, it's usually my go-to. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. So how does Romans 8.28 fit in with the hiddenness of God? Well, so, so let's make this a little more practical. You know, that, and that's what we're all about. We're all about talking about the deep things in theology, but we do want to try to make it practical. Uh, so let me read 828. For those of you knowledgeable scripture, you already know this. You can probably quote it by heart. But it says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And let me go ahead and read a little bit further. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Mm-hmm. So here is the amazing thing to make this practical. God knew us before we even knew anything. Before we were ever born, before creation ever came into existence, he knew us. And he knew 2020 was going to be as it was. Yeah. So he says, that, but he says in the end, he works all things for good. That doesn't mean that all things that happen to us, that doesn't mean that everything we experience are, is good. It's not. He doesn't promise that. I mean, for instance, even with Jesus, all things work together for good for him, but, right. but he ended up on a cross. Right. But we know the end story. and We know now as... As we mentioned in the Bible study just a while ago, that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father on high. You know, to be seated means that the task is is finished. To be standing means something is incomplete. To be seated means it is complete. He's seated on the right hand uh, of the Father. So he, he okay, so sitting at the right hand of somebody in antiquity meant that you had the authority of that person granted to you. So he's seated at the right hand of the Father, which means he has the full authority of God to, to, to bring about a plan which Christ completed, and that plan was to bring about our salvation on the cross. And so notice he says, he foreknows us, he predestines us, which I won't get into all of that. We've talked about that before on the podcast, what predestination means. But he knew us, he predestined us, then he conforms us to the image of his son, and then he calls us. We all have a calling. He's all, he's justified us, and he promises us to one day glorify us. 
So here's the thing. We don't understand all the things that are going on, and we're not supposed to. We don't understand all the ins and outs, and we're not supposed to. This is what it comes down to. It comes down to one word, and that's faith. Yeah, Curtis, just you, gonna say that. you and I were talking about this before the podcast, and um, and I really do believe this. I, I, I kind of envision God looking at us, having thinking and saying the same thing to the modern church today that he said to the disciples while they were on the boat. They, they were on the boat in the Sea of Galilee. There was a massive storm that come up, and uh, the winds were blowing. The waves were, were tossing them to and fro. Jesus was on the sli- was asleep at the helm of the, of the boat, or maybe at the stern of the boat. Anyhow, he was asleep, and they wake Jesus up. They'd been with him all that time. They wake him up and they said, Don't you even care that we're dying, that we're going to die? And I envision Jesus standing up. He may pop his neck, crack his neck a little bit, and he stretches out his arm and says, Peace be still. And the winds and the waves, they instantly become calm. And he looks around at them, maybe does the little rock, you know, looking up with one of his eyebrows, raising one of his eyebrows, and says, Where is your faith? And I kind of wonder if he's not saying the same thing to the modern church. Because we're losing our minds over politics. But God's still God. And He's not going to change. He still rules from on high. So the question at the end of the day is, do we really trust God's plan? Do we really trust what He has for our lives? That's a, that's a, that's a difficult one. Um, you know, as we go through stuff like this... You, we're, we're put into situations where we are forced to trust in God. And for many people um, in, our, in our Christian walk in America, um, we've never had to really be tested faith-wise as the big C church. Oh, yeah. And I, I, really, I really wonder if that's where we're headed. Is is that okay? Now the big C has to has to walk by faith, walk by knowing Him, and maybe that's why there's a like we talked uh, quite a few podcasts ago about how things are being brought to the surface that are that are in the church that are corrupt and that are that are actually being brought out, and and, and you're seeing the the real church starting to form. Yeah, I think you're right because I believe there's always going to be a remnant of the church around, even even after. Now, now I've given my opinions on this. Not everyone shares it, and that's fine. They can be wrong if they want to. But <laughs> but but I mentioned, you know, you know about a rapture happening, and even after that, um, there's going to be a remnant saved during that time of tribulation. So there's going to be a remnant of the church up into the time that, that of the millennial reign of Christ. So there's going to be a form of the church. Somehow, so there's always going to be a remnant. They may not be in the in the. They may not be the the majority of society, and we see that when we get closer and closer to that time, that that is probably going to be lesser and lesser of authority in the in the world. But God is going to do something great with them. But this uh, this brings two things to my mind. One is that sometimes God's going to test us, and God tells us that He disciplines His children. He tests us because 
He's not Santa Claus. He's our Heavenly Father. And so he tests us. And and um, and the second thing is, uh, you know, not only does he test us, but he also tell, tells us in Scripture that judgment first comes to the household of God. Before he brings it to the world, he first brings it to the church. And so... I think I think within the hearts and minds of, of every churchgoer, we have to ask ourselves, have we really been the church? There's and, a lot to be lot to be said in that question. Yeah. Yeah. So God is giving us clues. He's giving us hints of the way he operates. But in the end, you know, how and why he does some of these things, again, it comes down to faith because there's going to be more things we don't know about God's plan than think, than we do. Yeah, and that's, and that's when, when we got to start applying the, applying the scriptures to our footsteps. That, 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 and, and that's maybe even another, another thing to talk about is, you know, in the Psalms it talks about you, you are a lamp to my feet. You're, you're a lamp to my steps, you, you know, and, then you think about it, the, the, that type of lamp was not like a, a halogen light or, a, or an LED flashlight. It was just enough to see the next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, powerful. And that's a very, very good point. Very, very good point. So he's, he's not necessarily going to shine the light on everything, you know, revealing everything. He's going to give us enough information to know which way we should go and, and help us along the path. Uh, and there again, it, com- it comes down to an issue of faith and trust. Because I think he's doing something. Because, you know, we're told in a new creation uh, that we're, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. So I really believe that this world is a training ground to build up the rulers and reigners of the new creation. Those that walk by faith. Absolutely. Yeah. So how does the uh, hiddenness of God integrate with the incarnation of Christ? Um, I think you have Hebrews 1 written down here. Yeah, yeah, Hebrews 1, 3. Th- this is an amazing. I wish I could have found the uh, the, the, the text in Karl Barth. Um, Karl Barth wrote that in the incarnation we see the great mystery of, of how the hiddenness of God becomes manifest in a little child huh. in Christ. Now, I'm paraphrasing, that's a Chilton paraphrase of what Bart said, and, and he put it in a way, a fashion far greater than what I did. But a, a better way even still is found in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that says, The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. And get this, the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful world word when you look at Christ you're looking at the face of God and so as we're talking about Christmas uh, we're going into the Christmas season um, you know Curtis you and I've talked about this on and off the air before uh, and, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about it here in, here in just a little bit but um, I think many times we miss the mark on what Christmas is truly all about. We, we we forget. I mean, we get caught up on whether or not December 25th is the actual day or not. Well, even if it's not, this is the day we've set aside to commemorate a, a tremendous event taking place, and that is the incarnation of Christ when God 
became flesh, when he took on flesh. It's inconceivable if you really stop to think about it, but that's what happened. The hiddenness of God made himself manifest through the Son, and he also manifests himself through the Holy Spirit in our lives personally. Yeah. I guess we can lead right into the next one then. So in what ways do we neglect the hiddenness of God or show a lack of faith in God's hidden plan? Um, For example, idols, commercialization of Christmas, etc. So let's break this down. First of all, there's two parts of this. In what ways do we neglect the hiddenness of God? So so here's the thing. There's a reason why God in the Ten Commandments made mention of not making idols. Okay. It's not that he was against art, you know, and I don't think I, I think we can do the paintings and sculptures of Jesus are c- completely fine. The difference between having art and 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 having an idol is the is what you do with it. People made these idols, and then they ascribed some type of divine entity, saying, oh, "You know, I, I made a block of wood. I made a little sculpture of a man, and so this guy's this guy's. We're gonna call him Hercules, and say that he is the most the strongest man in the universe, or something like right. that. Or, or make this other one, this this piece of metal, make him Zeus, and say that he is the the the, the greatest of all gods and things of that nature. Well." Heiser in the Bible even talks about that some of these false idols were maybe ascribed to demonic entities, you know, um, who wanted to be God, you know. But but in the end, people want something tangible to worship rather than trusting in an intangible God. And so there again is where our faith is tested. And I think it comes down to one thing, the matter of control. If you have something tangible, you can manipulate it with your hands and make it do these different things the way you want it to do. But with something intangible as the God of creation, you can't control and master such a being as that. See, now that's powerful when we consider that we we bring a God-like feature into our mind of what we want God to be. Exactly. And I think that's what we do all the time. And I think that's part of the problem, even now, is is we think God should do certain things certain ways, and when he doesn't, we get all mad and upset, and we think God's failed us somehow. So therefore, apply the scripture, uh, my ways are not your ways. Exactly. And it doesn't mean that, that when we go through bad experiences that God wants to hurt us. I don't believe that at all. God wants for the very best for us, but in reality, to make us to the people that we're supposed to be, He sometimes has to put us through the, the, the testing flame. It's like I was telling a lady I, I work work for uh, in in the chaplaincy ministry I'm in now, and I, I told her I, I jokingly told her because there were some things that were going haywire, and I jokingly told her I said that uh, you know God doesn't put me in trial by fire; He puts me in trials by inferno. He puts me in the middle of inferno and say, "All right, you know, see how you do here." <laughs> but a lot, a lot of times, God has to put us through difficulties. And so, you know, in times past, I've told you about some difficulties I've had in ministry and difficulties I've experienced in life. But I realize now, looking back, that while they were uncomfortable while I was going through them, God has used those things to make me to the person I am today. I wouldn't be the same person if I hadn't gone through those trials and difficulties. 
So as Joseph said to his brothers, what man means for evil, God intends for good. Right. And so at the end of the day, it comes back down to a matter of, as what you mentioned already, it's a matter of faith. Right. It's kind of like that uh, image that's uh, that's stated, um, you know, you can put a frog in water and slowly turn the heat up and you'll never, he'll never know that he's boiling. Exactly. But if you go... If you, get, if you get thrown into the hot water, you know it. And uh, maybe that's what God does to, you know, to like people like you. And I mean, I know I've, I've gone through a lot of that kind of stuff too. And I know there's several other people that I know, but, but to the, to the church in general, has, has the heat slowly been turning up that we really don't know? I, I think it's possible. I, I think that, one of the things that we're seeing, which which I don't think church attendance indicates who's a Christian and who's not, because you know different people have different reasons. I do think a child of God will, will want to be in church and will want to be part right. of the church. And and but but there, there are different people. I've come across people who have physical ailments that keep them from attending you know church. So when I talk about church, I'm not talking about attendees. I'm talking about the people of faith here. But, but I do think that we have become, like for instance, for Christmas, we've become so commercialized in, in the things pertaining to Christmas that, that we've often forgotten what Christmas is all about. And Curtis, you know, you and I were talking about that off the podcast as well, about just how commercialized everything's become. Right. Yeah, and, and it's, and um, my son even points it out. <laughs> um, as soon as Halloween's done, we don't. We don't even have a, t- a chance to have uh, a break there and and actually celebrate Thanksgiving. You already start seeing the Christmas decorations coming up and the the aisles being changed in the stores and so on and so forth, ready for Christmas. And 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 we miss an opportunity to actually enjoy each season. And I think you know some of that is actually put in place for us to actually appreciate and take time to recognize the seasons. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, and by by commercializing some of this, I, I wonder if it if it becomes then all about the distraction, all about the all about the next best thing rather than what that season is. You know, and and so the church in general does have some, you could say, safeguards on on seasons like Christmas and Easter, so on and so forth, where, you know, like for now, like now you got, you know, people celebrating Lent, uh, you know, and going through some of that stuff and, and actually uh, taking time to recognize what was, what had gone on, but oh, is, that, Advent, is that, a, yeah. is, yeah, Advent and, and so on and so forth. So is that really... Is that really going on today? You know, is is are are there enough people, or there, is there a lot of people that are that are taking this time to actually recognize this? And I and I and I think the 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 interaction of God becoming one of us is such a huge deal. Um, for, for us to grasp or for us to even try to wrap our heads around that that uh, I think the distraction of 
the commercialization of Christmas and the idols and so on and so forth is is most certainly something that pulls away from the importance of us getting to know our God. Absolutely. Well, and it's like Hallmark Channel. It's it's funny thing because Hallmark will, uh, you know, they have all these Christmas movies and. Hallmark uh, teaches ladies how to fall in love, whereas Lifetime teaches ladies how to kill their husbands, it seems like. So, <laughs> you know, if you've ever watched them, you'll get what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. But, you know, but it is, it's, it's pushed now where the music starts way back, as you said, even as early as uh, uh, Halloween, and, and these movies start playing as early as Halloween, and you really don't even have a chance to to really come together at Thanksgiving before you're already talking about Christmas. And, and I think you're right. We are distracted by that. I think that uh, that really makes it more commercialized than what it really should be. Yeah. So then we focus on... Then then what happens is we focus on the things of this world. We're, we're kind of funneled into thinking about the things of this world and not God. Exactly. I think that's a huge. That's a huge thing. So, how does the hidden plan of God fit within our our failed church uh, plans? Well, there there, uh, there is. Let me see if I can find this right quick. Um, let, let me first. I think it may be in Jeremiah chapter one. Uh, let me let me look there real quickly. Um, Um. Okay. Well, all right. Well, okay. So, so we um. Let, let, let me go back to Jeremiah chapter one. So Jeremiah in chat, Isaiah is told this as well, and and there are specific scriptures that we could discuss, and I, I just really can't find them right now, but. In Jeremiah chapter one, God God calls Jeremiah to this prophetic ministry and and tells him that before he was ever even born, he was he called him and appointed him a prophet to the nations, and then he later on says, uh, "Stand up and tell them everything that I command you. Do not be intimidated by them, where I will cause you to cower before them. Today I am the one who has made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land." against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the population. Now, you hear that, and you think, oh man, people are going to listen to me, they're going to repent, and we're going to have a great evangelistic situation. But then comes verse 19. He says, they will fight against you, but never prevail over you, since I am with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. In Isaiah, I believe it is, where God calls Isaiah to go to a people who's, uh, I can't remember where it is, it's driving me crazy, I'll probably find it after the podcast is over, where he says, I want you to go preach to these people, but they're going to stiffen their necks, they're going to harden their hearts, and they're not going to listen to anything you have to say. (laughs) Now, how would you like to have a calling like that? (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to say, didn't we we talk about that on a podcast before, how... uh... Jeremiah possibly didn't even have one convert. Yeah, I do. I do think there's some evidence that they may have had that Jeremiah and I, I, definitely Isaiah, but maybe Jeremiah that they may have had a handful of people uh, to to uh, to repent and follow them because obviously you have uh, 
uh, Baruch, who's a follower of Jeremiah, he records some of the writings, and and you may have had a little community of people who who uh, who listened at least, but the vast majority of people would not listen to them. And so, in modern terms, we would look at a Jeremiah and an Isaiah, and we would say, "Boy, those two guys are failures. They they couldn't they couldn't keep a church for nothing. They just kept getting fired. They just kept getting tossed around. So these guys are the biggest failures that ever walked God's green earth." But God said they were a success. So here's the thing, and, and this is really something that's bothered me in recent times. We. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm all for having plans, okay? But we have more church strategists. We have more books being written about church revitalization that has ever been written in the church's history. We have more programs. We have more strategists implementing plans to rescue the church, and the church is in the worst shape it's ever been. There has to come a point in time that we realize that these plans of ours aren't working. So why aren't they working? Well, because we have to come back to the conclusion that's been there all along in that we can't save anybody, God can. If we quit if we keep quenching the Spirit of God and we keep pushing God back, why do we expect God to bless the church? Sure. So I think that that we have to one, we have to get back to the basics, and we need to we need to let the flames of the Holy Spirit consume the church and to lead the church, but we also have to understand that God has a plan in all of this, and He's leading us to something great. Now it may, doesn't mean that everything we're going to experience is great. Doesn't mean that everything that's going to happen to us is great, but it means that God's ultimate end game is going to be worth everything that we experience. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and some of that 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 to a lot of people is is fearful, um, because, like we said earlier, um, we have to give up some of that uh, control or that um, uh, idea of of what God is. And you know, Curtis, the more I look, and even among, Jason and I were talking about this the other day, even among the apologetic community, I don't think there's a great level of faith, even in the apologetic community. Because if there was, we wouldn't be so obsessed over some of the things we are. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, you know, call out, call a foul when a foul happens. I'm not saying that, but... Where do our trusts lie? Do they? Do they? If if we trusted a politician to save us, we were wrong from the very beginning. If if we trusted a political platform to save us, we were wrong from the very beginning. Because the Bible says some trust in horses and others in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Yeah, yeah. So how do we build trust and faith in God's hidden plan then? You know, I think, a, and Curtis, you have mentioned this so many times on this podcast, and I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head. We've got to be daily in the Word of God. And that means not just picking a verse here or there. I mean, a verse here and there is better than none. 
but we needed to have good, solid Bible studies. I think we now more than ever before we need to we need to study theology. We uh-huh. we need to. God has revealed certain things about Himself, and so I think those things He has revealed about Himself we need to know, uh-huh. because the, the things that don't make sense come under the umbrella of the things that do make sense when we understand the purpose and plan of God. But I think the reason that so many people are so frightened and just obsessed with issues is because they, they, they've settled on a cotton candy theology. A cotton candy theology that's all fluff, full of air and sugar, but there's no substance to it. You know, you pour water on it and it's going to melt away. That's part of the problem. This, this, this theological and biblical illiteracy that's been plaguing us is really coming to roost in the amount of trust and faith that we place in God during difficult times. Yeah. And you're starting to see that break over into um, what we were talking about, you know, um, you know in uh, modern spirituality and, and uh, modern spiritism, um, the New Age movement. Um, you're starting to see a lot of that where it's actually creeping into the church and, and, and there are pastors and people that are accepting it into the church when, when God says that that's not, that's not who I am. And I think that still comes down to a level of biblical illiteracy. I think there are some things people are accepting as kosher things that, that are not. Uh, because there is such a, an illiteracy of Scripture and such an illiteracy of theology anymore. Um, I mean, even in the apologetic community, I'm not trying to harp on the apologetic community, but but how much Scripture do we interact with? I mean, and I'm all for philosophy. You've heard me defend sure, philosophy. Sure. You've heard me defend theology multiple times. Yeah, but, and that's what this podcast is built on. Absolutely. But how many times... Do you hear apologists do what we've been doing here? And I'm not trying to glorify ourselves by any stretch of the imagination, but we go to the Scripture to see what the Scripture says about it. Right. Unfortunately, there are many, even apologetic ministries, that that very rarely, if ever, mention the Scripture. Mm. So, I mean, we've got to build ourselves philosophically, theologically, but we've also got to build ourselves in Scripture. That's one of the things I really appreciate about my education at Liberty University because they said biblical theology trumps every other other kind of theology. It, mm. What the Bible says holds authority over anything else. Right. Right, and I start and I kind of think about some of the uh, some of the uh, take this take this kind of picture back in the day in in biblical times and even earlier they would actually hold, they would actually, when they were building boats, when they were building ships to make, make them seaworthy, they would take ropes and they would they would go under under the whole boat to hold them, the, the sides of it together. That's the undergird. That's, the, that's what holds. So if you figure theology, philosophy, all those things are the boat were undergirded and held together by the ropes of, the, of biblical truth. Absolutely. So, I, I think it's important, and, I, and that's that's probably one of my biggest things is um, is is knowing the word and getting to getting to know the God that is hidden in the scriptures. And I think 
there's so much to know about God in the scriptures that, that I mean, it says in John, in, in the end of John, the book of John, it says that even if there were books that we could write the, of everything that Jesus did on this earth, just in those, you know, in that short time, all the miracles, that there wouldn't be enough enough books in the world to be able to contain it. And I think, and I think I mean, that, that, that's a little bit of hyperbolic of him. I mean, you know, sure, going, sure. but at the same time, I think he's got a point because there are many, many things about the life of Christ that we don't know. There are many gaps right. in the story that we don't know. Many wonders. And brother, I'm telling you, as I'm writing this book on heaven, I'm telling you, that's one of the things I think uh, is going to be great about heaven. I kind of envision <laughs> this large library in heaven, and I envision these conferences with Moses and maybe Jesus himself and some others talking about their life experiences. And man, oh man, oh man, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> I'm just looking for the. I'm just looking for the for the time spent out in the field watching my cows eat. Hey, that works too, <laughs> and that's one of the things I'm going to be talking about in this book. And, and um, you know, and as, and as the book gets closer to publication, and uh, I mean, I've, there's a lot of things before I miss. Not even halfway finished yet, but one of the things I, I'm really discovering in this writing this book is that we limit ourselves on what we think about heaven. Heaven's going to be far greater than anything we can ever think or imagine. And so I don't want to go into any more than just that, but um, it's, it's don't limit your imagination on what you think heaven will be like because no matter how great you think it is, it's going to be better. So we're not going to be little chubby baby angels with wings sitting on a on a cloud playing a harp? Uh, no, no, it's it's going to be far <laughs> better than that. No, no chubby, chubby naked uh, angel babies on clouds. <laughs> oh, well, that's the end of the podcast. And, uh, <laughs> so you basically say that wrapped it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of the podcast, folks. And so, but uh, Brian and I really do appreciate everybody listening in. So. Bellator Christ, we want to thank you for spending the time together with us, and we value that time. Um, our prayers in this podcast help stretch your mind and a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast, and until next time, Brian and I say, You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and BellatorChristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Meteor showers, Lunar X, and a conjunction that hasn't happened since the 1600s? There's a lot coming up in the December 2020 Astronomical Update, where we encourage you to keep looking up to the beauty of God's creation as you observe the stars 
and celestial objects in the night sky. But coming up this Friday, December 4th, the moon and beehive come together. The waning gibbous moon rises early in the eastern sky in the late evening and will be positioned only two finger widths to the left of a large open star cluster known as the beehive, otherwise Messier 44 in the Cancer region. The cluster, which contains at least a thousand stars, extends for two full moon's diameters across the sky. So you can see that this Friday, December 4th. Coming up on December 7th, Monday, uh, high in the southern pre-dawn sky, you can see the moon near the asteroid Vesta. Uh, the waning gibbous moon will be positioned a palm's width to the left, or the, excuse me, upper right of the magnitude 7.55 main belt. So you want to find that out or discover that or look for that on December 7th. Coming up December 8th, we have our last quarter moon when it reaches its last quarter phase. Uh, on uh, 7.37 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on December 8th. Saturday, December 12th, the old moon is near Venus. This is during the pre-dawn sky, so the southeastern pre-dawn sky on Saturday, December 12th. The delicate sliver of the old crescent moon will be positioned several finger widths to the upper right of the bright morning star known as Venus. Coming up December 14th, you can see the Geminids uh, meteor shower, which peaks from midnight to dawn. So be sure to get out there uh, between midnight and dawn to see what it will be a spectacular meteor display. It's coming up Monday, December 14th, the new moon will happen and a sol total solar eclipse will take place. Uh, at its new phase, the moon is traveling between Earth and the sun since sunlight can only reach the far side of the moon and the moon is in the same region of the sky as the sun. The moon becomes completely hidden from view for about a day. This new moon will also produce a total solar eclipse. However, it's only visible inside a narrow track from the South Pacific Ocean across South America and ending around sunset, sunset at the South Atlantic Ocean. So for those of us in the United States, uh, we probably won't be able to see it. Uh, the moon shadow will first contact Earth in the Pacific Ocean uh, about 2425 miles southwest, excuse me, southeast of Hawaii. And so that's coming up uh, December 14th. Total solar eclipse if you are in the South Atlantic Ocean uh, and the South Pacific Ocean. Tuesday, December 15th, Jupiter and Saturn pass Messier 75. Uh, and so uh, there's a uh, something happening special on December 21st. We'll mention in just a few moments. It's a big time event that you will not want to miss. Wednesday, December 16th, the young moon below Jupiter and Saturn after sunset, they all come together. December 17th, the crescent moon is beside Jupiter and Saturn in the early evening sky. Then we come to Monday, December 21st. Uh, this is the northern winter solstice, the first day of winter. And this officially happens Monday, December 21st at 10.02 uh, General Mountain Time or uh, 5.02 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. But also, Monday, December 21st, something happens that you will definitely 
want to check out. This is the great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. This happens after sunset. In the southwestern sky after sunset on Monday, December 21st, Jupiter's faster orbital motion will bring it to within one degree of slower Saturn, causing the two planets to appear to the unaided eye as a single bright object. The two planets, get this, they have not been this close together since Galileo was using his spyglass in 1623. And they won't meet again so closely until 2080. This is a very rare occasion. Some people have even postulated that this could be the star of Bethlehem. Could it be? Well, maybe, maybe not. But nonetheless, you'll need to start observing them as soon as you can. Uh, Find them in a darkened sky because they will set in the west at about 7 p.m. local time. So don't wait until December 21st to view this spectacular conjunction. They're already moving close together now as we speak. So you want to check this out. Monday, December 21st also has the first quarter moon. Also, the Lunar X uh, will uh, feature a uh, feature of on the moon called the Lunar X becomes visible in a strong with strong binoculars and a backyard telescope. Uh, so this uh, when the rims of the craters Pure Bach, La Cale, and Blancinus. Blancanus, I guess is how you say that, are illuminated from a particular angle of sunlight. They form a small yet very obvious X shape on the moon's surface. It's quite interesting. you want to check that out. The X is predicted to become apparent after 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on, mon- on Monday, December 21st. Peak around 11 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and then continue to about 1 a.m. So you want to go out and check that out. So December 22nd, the Ursid meteor shower peaks during the pre-dawn hours. December 23rd, the gibbous moon meets Mars in the evening sky. Moon also occults near the new Poseidon uh, 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 star cluster. And so also on Christmas Day, the Sirius Iridium's golden handle is in view all night. And uh, this golden handle is produced when slanted sunlight brightly illuminates the eastern side of the prominent curved Montes Jura mountain range on the moon that surrounds the bay at the top and left. So interesting things going on with the moon this month. And speaking of the moon, coming up December 30th, we have a full oak moon. It's called a full oak moon in December. That'll be coming up. And uh, December 31st, Algol, also designated Beta per se, is among the most accessible variable stars for sky watchers, and this becomes noticeably uh, bright at, uh, oh, excuse me, noticeably dim for about 10 hours once every two days, 20 hours and 49 minutes, so that'll happen. Mercury will be, except for a few minutes, it will only be observable for just a short time uh, for a few days in early December, Venus will still be seen in the uh, pre-morning sky. Mars uh, will con- will continue to be observed. And as we mentioned, Jupiter and Saturn have the great conjunction on December 21st. Uh, Uranus, uh, the blue-green Uranus, will, will be visible all day long while it travels slowly westward. And then Neptune will be available for observing in the evening sky during December as well. So quite a lot of things going on in the month of December 2020. And so this is Brian Chilton for the Bellator Christie Podcast, giving you your monthly 
astronomical update. And once again, go out and enjoy the beauty of God's creation. And as a reminder, keep looking up. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christian Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not, send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting BellatorChristi.com and the Bellator Christi Podcast.